If Jemayev goes on and becomes world champion, right? Do you, I mean, do you just see how it gets harder and harder and harder, not easier, but right now was the time. And if Bo really does feel that way, he needs to wake up and look around and go, Bo, you're not ever going to get called to do something. What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday. And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Man, what a few days in combat sports we've had. And here on today's episode, we're going to get into all things UFC 294. Guys, there is madness this Saturday. Will Kamar Usman be in his final fight? Does Volkanovski have what it takes to best Islam Makhlchev, particularly on short notice? I'm going to answer those questions. Plus, Israel Adesanya says he's going to take a step back from fighting. Lots to get into today, but I want to begin with the fight that stole all the attention this past weekend. Jake Paul, KSI, Will Fury, what do you guys think? And there's a lot on it. I will tell you, as I watched the matches this weekend, first off, I wasn't in the greatest of spirits by the time the main event came around, right? The co-main event was not in the greatest of spirits after I was watching that. So I was influenced by the announcers. That's true. I, I've got to disclose that. Grisham, Errol Hawani, Mams, they, they did a very good job, but they also influenced me and they convinced me that KSI won that fight. What parts I saw of it, it's difficult to know how the judges are scoring it. Like, amateur boxing versus professional boxing are very different things. So we took two amateurs, and we put them in there, but we did it under professional rules. And KSI is so gritty and tough, but he is a street fighter. I mean, he is a brawler. That is a legit tough guy, for sure, who legitimately prepared and showed up with condition and did plenty of sparring because his range is on point, but he's still wild. And those guys are just very hard to deal with. Or at least they're different to deal with. And the first parts of the matches are always the hardest parts of the matches where you're, you're, you're trying to get used to this. And you're taking shots as you're figuring out this goofy guy and you take another shot, but his power is going down a little bit. And it's just one of these spots. And when you've only got six rounds to do it, there's no room for air. So then when Tommy Fury loses a point, it's going to be very hard for Tommy to win that match. When he loses one point in a six-round contest, it's going to be really, really difficult to win the match. And it was also, it was the right call by the referee. I felt as though that ref could have been a little bit more involved. And I know he's taken a lot of criticism, but I will at least share for you, within that moment, he did the right thing, and not a lot of people would. When you have a Fury in a boxing match in England, to tell them they did something wrong to the point that you penalize them takes a level of courage. I've got to give it to the referee. Now, there was a lot of holding and there was a lot of other spots in the match that some of the criticism is coming from. But as we watch it and as we fast forward to the end and we get the reveal of the big surprise, that one judge has it a draw and the other two judges have it the same way. So the majority decision goes to... Will Fury. And it was a surprise. John Fury came out after the fact and said, I would have had no qualms had they given it to KSI. It's a very honest answer. They don't do that a lot in boxing. I wish that they would. I mean, I've always wished that they would. Just be honest about what you felt or what you saw. One of the worst decisions in boxing was Evander Holyfield versus Lennox Lewis. And Lennox Lewis took him apart. He won 10 rounds. He lost two rounds. I mean, this was as clear as boxing gets, and they scored it a draw. Evander maintained the belt. They scored it a draw. You, you just see these really weird things, and then they go to the Evander, and they ask him, and he wouldn't say, yeah, that was a surprise, or that was a gift, or I sure am lucky, or that's not the way I thought it was going to go. He starts making excuses. He starts rewriting history, and you always wonder, why does a guy not just answer the question honestly? He can avoid the question, or he can just answer it honestly. And it's not how I had it. It's not what I thought they were going to say, right? They, like It doesn't take away from you to do that. It doesn't hurt the rematches or hurt your stock. It doesn't change what people just saw but it'll change their respect from getting a sincere answer from you. 
So I like that John said, hey, man, I had no qualms. KSI won the fight. Tyson Fury came out, said, hey, my brother should have done better than that. He's a boxer. You know, this is what we do. Will Fury himself said before the fight, if it's anything but a knockout, I lose. And I take him at his word on that. I also think that KSI should be the one that's viewed as the winner. And you have to understand, what difference does it make? I mean, there isn't sold-out main events on pay-per-view in boxing that go six rounds anyway. Like, if we're just being silly and we're just making stuff up, which is what we're doing, I don't take away from Fury. If Fury wanted to say, no, I won this, and they raised my hand, I'm okay with that. What I'm sharing is he's saying no. He said, no, that's not how this works. It's not that they raised my hand because we got these judges to say this. If I don't knock him out, I lose. I'm taking it at his word. I think that's okay. I think that's appropriate under this. Where everything else, we're making up the rules. We can also make up a rule for the, for the conclusion. You then, in case you guys didn't hear about this, the one judge that scored at a draw, turns out that the commission there on hand mistallied that. Turns out he also had fury. Fury won a unanimous decision. All three judges had it the same way. Which does make you think, well, what was the announced team seeing? I went with the announced team. I sided with them. What was Chael seeing? But it does matter who won the fight. It really does matter because you have the Jake Paul tie-in. Jake Paul versus KSI is a much bigger fight for what they're trying to do. They expected KSI to win. They wanted KSI to win. They wanted to put Jake and KSI together. But Jake versus Fury, from a competitive standpoint, works to a degree. Jake is a true competitor. He lost the match to Fury. He wants to get that one back. Fury does not want to fight anybody, but he will go out and do a boxing match against guys that aren't boxers. Like, th this works for Fury. This is right what Fury does. If he can keep on making a couple million bucks, he couldn't get that doing it against boxers. So everything's right. But I'm asking you guys, wh which do you want to see? It would seem as though if Jake has an issue with both guys and wants to fight both guys, it would seem as though... If you're going to go in order, whoever wins gets the match. It would seem as though you can't have KSI lose and then give him the match. It would seem that way. I get that in the short term. It might feel that way right now. I don't think it'll feel that way in a week or two weeks and definitely won't feel that way by December 15th. I bring up that date because Jake has put out a press release this morning that he'll be fighting again on December 15th. The only question comes down to who. So what do you want to do? Do you think we need to re respect the results of the duel? That, that would seem appropriate. But what are the results of the duel? The onlookers that watched it said KSI won. Fury himself said KSI won. The bigger fight is KSI. But if those are both the likely suspects and you're planning to fight both of them, now you're just arguing about the order. What do you guys want to see? What should be next for Jake? Should it be the rematch with Will Fury? Which, by the way, I mean, you got to understand, if he loses the, the rematch with Will Fury, does he even do the KSI fight, right? Like, it's a really interesting thing. You lose the guy one time, but, but if he ends up doing it twice to you, like that, it becomes a little bit more damning. So if you're playing matchmaker and you're trying to get this done, what order are you going to go in? And most specifically, I'll ask you this. On December 15th, Jake Paul's going to box. He hasn't named the opponent yet, but it's down to KSI and Will Fury. Which one do you hope is Jake's opponent? All right, let's look at the world title fight. Islam Makhlchev versus another world champion, Alex Volkanovsky. So, I got to tell you, right, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways to look at a fight, and what you enjoy about it can be very personal to you. One of the things that I enjoy about this is the rankings committee is going to be put to the fire. I mean, not for nothing, I seldomly can get around the quiet, anonymous rankings committee and the terrible job that they do without getting called out. Like, we don't have anything in this space that we don't call out, right? It's kind of hard to get into. I mean, you get referees get their feelings hurt and judges get their feelings hurt. We have a rankings committee that is unnamed, 
that by rumor could even be done by a computer program. Now, that is not the case, but I'm sharing with you there, someone named and so spoke about that that rumor is allowed to exist and won't be stopped. And that very rankings committee says that Volkanovsky is not as good as Islam Makhlchev. So, and they've gone back and forth on this, by the way, right? It comes out every Tuesday at, at 9 a.m. And I just like when that gets pressured because back up to their first fight, Islam was bringing the belt, but Volk was bringing goat status. And Volk said that it's one of the great things that Volk has ever done as far as a promotion of one of his own fights. And it came out organically and it was natural, but it was great. It wasn't just everything's on Islam. You have the ability to lose the belt. I have no ability to lose a belt. Right? Imagine that from Volk's spot. But what does that do for us, the audience? If there's no risk, what do we care? If there's, if you're not risking something, what do we care? You're, now you're just an interchangeable mediocrity going out there and fighting, but you happen to be doing it in a main event. It can't just be all rewards. There has to be something on it, Haas. So it was a big deal when Volk said, you bring the 55-pound belt, but I'm going to bring the ranking. So when that fight got done, for a moment, the rankings committee kept them the same. They gave a grace due to the weight deficiency shown by Volk in comparison to the competitiveness of the contest. But they've gone back and forth on that. And then not knowing what to do, they just moved both guys down and put John Jones up. John Jones has never punched a heavyweight or been punched by a heavyweight. And they put him at number one anyhow. And they might have it right, but they might not. And it's one of the things that I enjoy about the contest, right? And so the other thing I like to do is I like to go over to DraftKings and see what those guys are saying. Because I remember the first fight in Perth. It was 3-1 to one Islam. And 3-1 to one Islam is the exact same odds when Islam fought Charles Oliveira for the belt. Islam was favored to beat Charles 3-1. to one. And he went out and he did exactly that. What I mean by that... When you have three to one, three to one odds aren't saying that the audience fully expects a finish, but it definitely leans and trends in the direction of a finish. Three to one, you're talking about a domination. Four to one, you're expecting a finish. Five to one, it would be a surprise if there was not a finish. And I, I only bring that because it was anything but, right? Volk went out there and he defended himself. And he fought through a number of positions. His conditioning was ever but as good as we always expected it to be. The flip side to that coin is Islam's was just as good. So I wanted to see what the boys and girls over at DraftKings, now having evidence, it's no longer a guess of how these two are going to do. Now that we have the evidence of how they're going to do, you're not necessarily basing the fight on who you think the better fighter is. You're also taking into consideration momentum coming out of that fight. There was so many things that were going Volk's way. But then you also have the adage of, guy had a good night. And DraftKings that is experts within everything sport see good nights all the time. It's what dreams are made of. But it wasn't a good enough night. And are you going to use that as a springboard and get better? Or is that going to be where... where you exist in your finest moment. You plateau and stay there. Meanwhile, Islam found himself in the worst position an athlete can, which is he found himself in a competition that turned out to be harder than he expected it to be. So now that Islam is armed with that information and knows what he's getting into, can he make the appropriate adjustments to widen the spread? And this is what Chael's wondering. This is, this is all Chael's question when I go over to DraftKings. Knowing it used to be 3-1, to one, knowing it went off in Perth for the first battle at 3-1, to one, what are DraftKings going to say now? Because the rankings committee said that Volk is better. They acknowledged that Islam won, but they said that Volk was better. They had him ranked in front of Islam. So I'm just wondering what the odds makers at DraftKings say. And they've got it at about a two-and-a-half favorite towards Islam, and two and a half surprises me, considering the last one was three to one. It surprised me. It I would not have been shocked had Volk become the favorite just slightly. It's not what I would have predicted for you. I wouldn't have been shocked when I went to DraftKings if that's what I read. 
So I got to make some calls, right? I know some inside gambling guys and guys that helped us set this line initially. And it's only an initial line. You guys do the rest. That, that's one thing that, that, that so many people don't understand about the odds. The odds maker in the bookie only sets the initial line. Your guys' money, it's math after that. But when I did make some calls to say, hey, how do we get to this? How do we get to negative 259 on Islam coming out of the gate? Said two things. They said, uh, and this is not the guy that actually set the lines, but this is the guy that does work in that industry and sets lines. Said two things. First off, location matters. It, it, location matters to the, the point that none of us can figure out why Charles pulled out of this fight other than he really didn't want to do it in Abu Dhabi. We're all aware that a, a little a little scrape that was done 10 days ago, per the commission rules, you could put some glue in there and you could go off and fight. J Jake Paul did it. 24 hours after the exact same cut happened in a little bit different place. We believe location matters to a point that Charles Oliveira won't even do the fight. We also believe location matters to a point that Perth helped Volk. And we think that was a driving factor in that excellent performance. And the other side is short notice. We don't think that Volk had time to get to the right size and that he was training accurately enough. And therefore, we favor Islam. And I'm, I'm only bringing that to you guys because that seems fair. Like, that seems really fair over at DraftKings. It also seems like a way to go and take their money. Right? H hunger absolutely matters. Volk has called Islam out. Nobody else has called Islam out. You guys can't tell me that. Justin Gaethje got as close as anybody has, where when he beat Poria, he demanded a title fight. But he didn't call out Islam. There's a big difference. Calling out Islam versus calling for a world title fight, there's a very big difference. If you go study all of Gaethje's interviews, I'm sure at some point his mouth said the word Islam, Makhlchev. I won't take that from him. But in a broad stroke, there hasn't been any 55-pounders to call him out. He's a very intimidating guy. People don't want to compete with him. Well, Volk hasn't said anybody's name but his name. In fact, when, when Volk finally went after Ilya Tapura, he said, because I don't want to have to wait that long for Islam. I can still fight Islam, but if it's going to be next year, I'll just fight this guy in between. Not to mention, I think that there's something very relevant to the fact that Islam sat. That's my my opinion. But he is sat. That fight that I'm, I'm referencing in Perth was in, what was it, in March? You don't get better at something by not doing something. At the same time, with the training, with the dedication, with the discipline, with the lack of distractions, the lack of partying, the lack of other things, I understand that a layoff is going to affect Islam much less than other people. But if we're just sitting over here and we're just gossiping and talking about all of the different variables that go into this fight, I have seen more times and I could give you more examples of surprises, but surprises get done when the guy gets brought in on short notice. Short notice is never been, you won't, you won't show me examples. I will show you plenty. Short notice has never been, I wasn't ready, my weight, my training, my short notice has been nothing but helpful. The physicality and the grind of constantly focusing physically and mentally on something hurts a person. It hurts an athlete. A guy that can step in with a completely clear head, not what he was planning to do, not what he was thinking about. Paralysis by analysis does not bite him in the ass. More times than not, the last minute replacement, that's the guy in the best spot. Go ask Michael Bisping if he agrees with me. So DraftKings is putting down some pretty like odds, right? DraftKings like Islam two and a half to one, but DraftKings liked Islam three to one in the first contest. So I think that that's very interesting because DraftKings is admitting, they're admitting that they see this contest closer then they're admitting that they saw the first one. Do you feel if this contest is closer than the first one that you have the same outcome? No way. There's no way you have that. There was no room for air. There was no room between these guys. And now there's nothing but a little bit of time and space. And we're going to take that away by Saturday night as well. Fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back in DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NBA is celebrating an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season 
with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone's got a shot at even bigger basketball wins. String together multiple bets from the same game or build your parlays across multiple games for a shot at making your payday even sweeter. Basketball's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code CHAIL. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5 only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code CHAIL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to number 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, licensee partner Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions. Terms and responsible gaming resources. Jemayev versus Usman. Guys, let me ask you a question. Do you do better at something when you want to do it? Do you do better at something when you're excited to do it? Do you do better at something when it's your idea? When you better at something, are you more excited about it when you ask for it? Maybe it was your parents when you were a little kid. They told you no. They told you no over and over. You believed the no. You really wanted it, but you believed the no. And you woke up and it was your birthday and you opened the present. And it was the thing that they told you you couldn't have. Has that happened to you? And if it hasn't, has something like that happened to you? And were you, were you better? Were you better that way? Did you have better days in school? Did you have better days at work? Did you have better dates when you're excited? When it's what you wanted to do? Think about that just for a minute. Do we, do we have a unanimous yes? Okay. I'm going to ask you a question. Kamar Usman was the champion of the world. Just shy of this time last year. As a matter of fact, at this time last year, Kamar Usman was the champion of the world. And in the two years prior to that, he was also the champion of the world. But in those two years, including COVID times, there was a talk of a young man named Hazmat Chemaev that should be given the opportunity because he can beat him. He is truly the best. We haven't seen it. We've seen really good things. We've seen undefeatedness, and we've seen that he's got power in his hands, and we can see he's willing to do things. We know that he's got a great attitude, but we're hearing rumors out of the rooms, out of the practice rooms, that he could beat anybody, including Kamara Usman. And Usman, who's the best in the world, who just prior to this narrative lived in a different narrative where he was the first 170-pounder to ever be compared to George St. Pierre, and the person who made the comparison wasn't dismissed for being a fool. There has never been a welterweight that you could compare to George St. Pierre and make the argument that he's better than George. You would lose that argument, by the way, that we haven't had one yet better than George. But there's never been a guy that you could even say those words and not be dismissed as somebody who doesn't know what he's talking about until Kamar Usman. Oh, and by the way, he starts lapping the division just like St. Pierre. He starts doing a lot of things that George St. Pierre had done. And that conversation starts to be more and more real, and all of a sudden, they rip the carpet out from under him. That conversation ends in a new narrative that a 24-year-old kid who's only had two fights within the weight class is the rightful, deserving champion. I would imagine that that would be a lot. And Kamara Usman attempted to navigate that as best that he could. Which was to say, when he can work his way up, as soon as he can get Dana White to agree as a top contender, I'll be here waiting for him. But until then, it's just talk, and I got Colby, and I got Leon, and I got Gil, I got these other guys that have already proven it. So stop talking to me about this 24-year-old kid that can't even pick a weight class. Hard spot. DraftKings did a make-believe line. There was a fight that was supposed to happen, and for you historians, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. 
The fight was supposed to be number three ranked Leon Edwards versus unranked yet unbeaten Hazmat Shemaev. And Leon drew the very short straw here because there was a belief by many of you, and you guys are very good at this, by the way. You, you guys are the best. You're the best analyst, analysts out there, which you collectively think you're very seldomly wrong. But I'll share for you, there was people that believed that Leon should be fighting for the belt, that he had earned that opportunity, had won like seven straight. But there was also a belief that Chemayev was the rightful guy. The problem with giving Chemayev the opportunity is he wasn't ranked. And the problem with getting him ranked is you couldn't get anybody ranked to fight him. So he said, all right, Leon, look, you got a problem. You got a problem that people don't know who you are. People don't want to see you fight. But you're really good. We fully admit it. But this is the one. If this guy's as good as he says he is, then you're a lamb going to the wolves. As a matter of fact, he calls himself a wolf. But if you're as good as some of your people say you are, then you'll beat the unranked guy and next you'll fight for the belt. And then all of a sudden COVID hit. And Chemayev took it very bad. I mean, there was times where people thought he was going to die. It was bad. It was for sure the end of his career, but it could be the end of his life. It was a very bad case when this pandemic went around. And just prior to that news coming out of him being on a respirator in a hospital, DraftKings put out a line. And DraftKings not only put out a line for Chemayev versus Edwards, which had Chemayev's favorite. Very close, but Chemayev was favorite. They also put out a line if he was to win Chemayev versus Kamara Usman. And that one had Usman as a favorite two to one. DraftKings did not agree at that time with what the masses did. Now, guys, I'm going back two years and that story could be closer to threes. I'll tell you what, I used to be great at timelines. COVID really did throw me off. So I'm not two, three years back, okay? But now it's the same guys. And you have to understand when DraftKings favored Kamara Usman, this is the point of the whole thing. Make sure you, you stay with me on this. When DraftKings favored Kamara Usman, Kamara, while being world champion and while being ranked number one, didn't want to do the fight. I mean, why would you? I can only tell you this as a fellow fighter, not even a friend of Kamara. Like, I haven't called him and talked to him about this. I'm telling, I don't need to. I know what I'm looking at. I can put myself in his shoes, right? The golden rule of life. You don't want to fight some 24-year-old. You don't want to fight some up-and-comer. You don't want to fight the guy that everybody say, oh, he's so scary and he's in the rooms. That's not what it's about. You got to fight a guy. It's one of the great things about being champion. You make these guys come to you because when they come to you, now you videotape. You have footage. That's the, the whole thing. You now have footage to watch a guy. That's why you make him have these fights. Not so somebody can make him stumble and fall. Not the whole, you've got to deserve it and earn your way to me. That's what you say, but that's not what you're really after. What you're after is more and more fights and more and more positions, more and more adversity, so you can see how he reacts. So you can come up with your strategy and your plan. So DraftKings back then, when Kamara wouldn't have wanted to do the fight, had Kamara as a two-to-one favorite in a mythical fight. Now the fight's here and Kamara does want it. And we all know that. But DraftKings has decided that Osmat Chemayev is the favorite. And I had a lot of people telling me, Kamara's not big enough. That's the problem. Kamara's not big enough. And I think that's a very real concern. I listened to you on that. Now, I will very calmly tell you as somebody that followed Kamara Usman's wrestling career, when he wrestled and had world and Olympic aspirations, he did that at 184.75 pounds, if you want to be specific. You hear me tell the story, you'll hear me say 185 pounds. But it's 184.75 pounds. That's what he did. That's where he was comfortable. And he had to cut weight to get to that. Not a lot, but he did. It's a very, very good sized guy for this weight class. But I keep hearing that's why DraftKings is favoring Chemayev. Do you guys not know that Chemayev is also a 170 pounder who is moving up to 185? Are you not aware of that? And this, of course, is what I said. They said, oh, yeah, but there's pictures of him and he's, he's huge out there. Oh, he looks good in these photographs. He's 200 pounds. And that's just an interesting comment. Perhaps that does sway it. Perhaps I have it wrong. I would just prefer the story be told. If any of you are betters and you want to handicap this thing, I just want to share for you. Chemayev may have missed weight for his last fight, but the fight was scheduled at 170 pounds. The official weigh-in for him was 178 pounds. He is now going to middleweight and establishing middleweight for the first time ever. The first time ever in his career, he's saying, okay, I'm now a middleweight. Don't book me for anything less than middleweight. So I, I don't know that I buy into the size. And if we all agreed a moment ago 
that wanting to do something makes us better at it. Being excited about something makes us better at it. Getting our way and having it be our idea to do something makes us perform better. This was Usman's idea. Usman begged for it. And on a short notice fight, I think that that is real. I know that Usman's in the practice room. I know he's a very disciplined guy. One thing you're going to want to keep in mind is Usman, even prior to being the champion of the world, was a main eventer. And a lot of those main events went all 25 minutes. And a lot of those fights that Usman won as world champion had to do with his conditioning. And that was in five-round contests. This is three. Right? It's a different animal. Get a guy like me, I don't really need to focus and prepare for those 15 minutes to, to, to have that endurance. So you have these other guys that can go 25 minutes hard, and when you watch them, you see they could have gone 35 or even 45 minutes hard. You make it a small atmosphere like 15 minutes, there's nothing to hold back, and they do have a common opponent. They do within Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns was very competitive with both of these guys. You like to tell me MMA math doesn't work. It works all the time. This is a close fight. A very, very close fight. I like the odds at DraftKings. I don't even know that I disagree. I see where Chamayev would be a favorite. I see in many ways how Chamayev is Kamara Usman skill-wise, but younger. I do see that. But I also saw other comparisons to George St. Pierre about Kamara Usman. And one thing that George also did is he left the sport. One thing that George did is he returned to the sport. And when he returned to the sport, he returned up a weight, just like Kamara Usman is doing. And we turn into a very hard opponent, just like Kamara Usman is doing. But George won. So if those comparisons between George and Kamara Usman are all fair and everything's equal, then it really does come down to this one match. And Kamara Usman beats Hazmat Shemayev. First to share with you guys that a backup fighter is desperately needed for Paulo Costa and Hazmat Shemayev. And I left it at that. I've never told you why or where that came from. I did share with you, neither one of those guys wanted to do that fight, but I left it at that. Okay, turns out that comes to fruition. And Daniel Cormier had done an interesting piece. Now, I'm going back in time, right? I'm, give, I'm giving you guys a timeline. This is where I started, right? The fight gets announced. I'm ex I'm the one that announces the fight on Ariel's show. A couple months later, I come out and say, hey, there's trouble in paradise here. You better get a backup fighter. Okay, great. Fight gets called off. Need a backup fighter. Daniel Cormier came out. So this was just last week. And he said, look, I got some inside information and some stuff I'm hearing. Not being given authority to reveal it, but... If this is accurate, your jaws will hit the floor, which means you're going to go, oh, wow. And the only problem with that statement is it was so well known that Kamara Usman was the leading suspect. Like, like if you were to be told that Kamara Usman was going to do the fight, and maybe it's a little different for me. And one thing when I laid out that timeline, I also did a piece and said, Kamara Usman needs to be the guy. That's the only guy that can fill in. But it was a little bit interesting when Daniel came out and said, your jaw is going to hit the floor. Because Daniel didn't show a support back when Kamara Usman was begging for the fight and campaigning and lobbying for the fight. I just assumed that Daniel had information, but it could have been Kamara. It could have been Kamara Usman who tried to get the fight and got passed over for Paulo Costa. Because he couldn't fit the litmus test that Daniel laid out, which is a jaw hit the floor. This is my guess, right? I don't know. Daniel did a good job of keeping us curious. And I thought, well, it's got to be Strickland. If our jaws are going to hit the floor, it has to be Strickland. There's not very many likely suspects. Robert Whitaker would be a ton of fun. Drigius Duplice would be a ton of fun. But that's a guy that wouldn't go fight on two months' notice. We're not going to get him to fight on two weeks' notice. So you're, just try you're trying to just do the math a little bit. Who could it possibly be? So it comes out that it's, sure enough, it's it's Kamar Usman. And Bo Nickel had come out and said, I was really disappointed. The UFC didn't call me. They didn't offer me the Chimaya fight. And so I was thinking about that in the vein of what Daniel said, which is jaw hit the floor moment. And I think that Bo would have satisfied that. Bo had never crossed my mind. Strickland crossed my mind. World title fight. DDP, Whitaker, they were dismissed. Jared Cantor has spoken that he will do it, but again, that's just, right, there's just a miss there. There's a miss. Something's a miss. So for Daniel to say that we would be 
in awe, it had to be somebody pretty impressive. So I thought it would be down to Strickland and or Adesanya to fit the bill that Daniel said. Now, Kamar Usman, that was, that was my choice. I came out and lobbied for Kamar Usman. So I don't mean that I have any problem with that. I'm saying I get confronted with Daniel saying it's going to be a jaw on the floor moment. Well, a jaw on the floor moment has to be something we haven't yet considered at least, I think. So that is where I thought, well, maybe Strickland. And Izzy's just crazy enough. You know, it, it could be. Comes out that it was Kamar Usman. Okay, great. So then Bo makes the statement that he was disappointed. And, and, and the massive difference there is Bo didn't lobby for it. And... But this needs to be a lesson. This needs to be a moment where Bo gets cold water splashed in his face. Bo Nickel versus Chemayev is a fight that it's going to be almost impossible to make right now. With the pieces that you're giving, with the trajectory of Chemayev, who is being groomed and raised to go in and compete for a championship, and many, including in leadership positions at the organization, believe he's going to become the champion and run with that for quite a while. They believe that. So Bo, as great as he is, but unranked, it's going to be nearly impossible to bring those pieces together, but they could have done it one week ago for sure. And that was almost the only scenario that has any likelihood of ever getting those guys together. As unlikely it is that those guys are going to fight because of the rankings, right? Just because of where, of where they're at. Everything else matches up. Their records are pretty close. Their losses are exactly identical. Their ages are pretty close. They might be the exact same. Now that I say that, I th they mo both might be 27 years old. My point is this. If you can't get them together now, and you can't, you're not going to get them together if Chemayev wins this fight and becomes a number one contender. You're not going to be jonesing to get it together if Chemayev loses this fight. If Chemayev goes on and becomes world champion, right? You, I mean, you just see how it gets harder and harder and harder, not easier, but right now was the time. And if Bo really does feel that way, he, he needs to wake up and look around and go, Bo, you're not ever going to get called to do something. That is not how it works. You've got to be the one to do it. And you can look at all the things that Kamara Usman did, which got himself in the position to take the fight. That would have been incredible. Bo Nickel versus Chemayev, that really would have been incredible. For us hardcore fans specifically, I see no reason to keep guys apart. And there, there's people that will disagree with me, but I, I, don't, I don't have, over the course of history, any empirical evidence that building a guy actually works, as opposed to putting on the fights that you can put on when you can put them on. But there is a meaningful difference. Bo did not position himself for this. From Bo's last fight, where I seem to remember he, it was the most lopsided odds in the history of the organization. It was like a tw plus 2,400. It was something silly like this. But from that last fight, I only remember one thing that he said. He said he was going to go hunting. He, di he didn't give us any, any help. And I can juxtapose that with what Kamar Usman did, where he let everybody know he wants to fight Chemayev. He went out to the UFC, he sat, he lobbied, he called them all, he texted them all. And he made sure that that story of those efforts got out. I see other guys going down to the Apex and they're filming themselves. I see other guys going to UFC headquarters and they're filming themselves. They're putting it out on social media. I, I'm just sharing with you, there was one guy that lobbied for it and there was one guy that didn't. I can't tell you that I don't love the idea of Bo versus Chemayev in this atmosphere. On extremely short notice. Like, the path for Kamar Usman is an interesting one. This is definitely a potential retirement match, it would seem. It would seem. We have had greats before that start to work their way down the card and they stick around until every, every drop is squeezed out. We do have those. My favorite fighter, Frankie Edgar, would fit that bill. But we have other guys that go, hey, as soon as I can't be champion, I'll get my coat, I'll put my jacket on, and I'll see y'all at the next one. So at 170 pounds, there's really not a path for Kamar Usman. There, there's not a likely one. And at 185 pounds, he just found it. Apparently, if he wins his next two fights, he'll be the champion of the world. Apparently, apparently he is now in a number one contender's match, which would draw him in to Sean Strickland, who he has beaten in the past. I mean, it's a really interesting spot. But meanwhile, you've got the other side of the coin, which is if he doesn't win at 185, there is not another path at 185. Not for a 36-year-old who doesn't have a history in the division. 
And then to even take a short minute replacement fight at 170 when you're given an opportunity like this, right? I mean, those are, those are lightning in a bottle. They just don't come very often. It's not a good shot that'll present itself again. So what does he do? Would he, would he retire after that? I don't know. I'm just sharing for you. There has to be something very meaningful there. I think there is something meaningful. I think a number one contendership is, is very, very real. But as Bo makes that comment, he talks about disappointed, right? If he's just out doing interviews and saying things, no problem. But but if he really meant that, if he felt something, saying, gosh, I feel like I got overlooked. Hey, what do I have to do around here? Well, there's an answer. There's an answer. There's what you did not do and did not get the opportunity. There's the guy that did do something and did get the opportunity. And that was just lobbying. It was real simple. It's not a trick question here. It was It was real simple, real direct. And I feel as though Bo could still insert himself. He could still get involved. I mean, I, I know when I look at the rankings and I look at DDP, it's very powerful to explain. They didn't go to the number one contender. Why? The number one contender already turned down a world title fight. Now you're telling me the number one contender is, is turning down a number one contender. Is there anything your number one contender is willing to do? Right? I mean, that's going to get... I, I insulted Drikas and got... All, all sorts of media by telling you that he backed down from Adesanya in an interview, which a hundred percent happened. What I'm sharing for you, why would Nickel not start doing that? Why is he not going after Duplisi? Why is he not go after anybody? Can't be surprised you didn't get something if you didn't go for it. What else in life did you ever get that you didn't try to get? Well, back to the time you were a little kid, what, what did your father buy you or get you from the store that you didn't ask him for? Can't be surprised or disappointed you didn't get a fight that you didn't try to get when another guy did try to get it. This isn't complicated. The rules of the octagon are no different than the rules of your house or of the playground or anything else you did. If you want something, let people know you want it. Try to get it. Ask for it. Sonia. So comes out, he says, I'm going to take some time off. So I'm going to take some time off. And I, we've never heard words like that spoken from, from Izzy. I can't think of anybody within that team that has ever said those kinds of words. I mean, that is the most willing, hungry, competitive group of guys of any team in the sport, but also any team that we've ever had in the sport. They didn't slow down during the pandemic. They moved into their gym. They're from, right, right. The, the, where that gym is in New Zealand had the greatest protocols on earth. And they, so they just moved into the gym. It's a really incredible thing. Some of them had fights coming up. Other ones of them knew they had fights coming down the road. But they really stuck together. And I've shared with you guys the story. The first night that Volk became the champion of the world, it was T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. He fought... Uh, against Holloway. It was a co-main event, but it was for the world championship. And Volk didn't have to report until roughly 7 o'clock, right about when the show goes live, 7 o'clock Pacific time, 10 o'clock Eastern. He had to be there a little bit before that, but you know, get, get your hands wrapped, do the commission. Maybe there's a drug test if you get drawn. Change your clothes, warm up, go out there and fight. But other guys had started reporting to the venue as early as 12.30 in the afternoon for the 3 o'clock fight, so do the exact same process. So I'm, I'm just sharing for you when Volk comes walking through the doors at 4 o'clock, three hours earlier than his call time, on the most important night of his life from a competitive standpoint, and I know that you could argue that now, but not at that point, he was 14-0, and going to go fight for a world championship against the greatest featherweight we'd seen in Max Holloway. He shows up three hours earlier than he needed to. And he showed up because he had a teammate on the undercard. It wasn't cornering him. He just wanted to be there with him. Wanted to be in the locker room and wanted to be out in the arena. Just wanted to support his teammate. And I saw it. I can't give you another example. I can't tell you two times I've seen that in my life. I can't tell you five times I've seen that in my life. I've seen it one time and it was Volk and I saw it myself. And I, I, I bring it to you because it's a very unique team. So when Izzy comes out and he says, I'm going to take some time, you know, the writing on the wall was there for this. And I feel that he came to the right conclusion. When Izzy did not go after Strickland and go after a rematch full force, as a matter of fact, he didn't go after it at all. 
I was a very clear moment that you have an athlete, you have a champion of the world who's tired, who needs to take his oars out of the water. And I don't know where that will go with Izzy, but I do believe that to be the best middleweight of all time. And I know there's always going to be that debate there because Anderson did uh, so many great things. As far as records go and how all of that worked, I've, I've never joked opposed to two, but I watched those two fight and Izzy won. So whether there's a debate or there's not a debate, the fact that he's even in the talk with the greats like Anderson Silverman, I'll just share with you. I don't know what more he has to do. And I share that with you because when you start to take breaks, there aren't a lot of times throughout history that you could find an athlete that did that in any sport, right, across the board, that came back and the comeback was meaningful. Like, there is a point when you take those breaks, you're, you're not searching to heal your body. It's just what you tell people. You're not searching for rest. You don't have owies and injuries. That's just what you tell people. You tell people that because what you actually know that you're doing, what's internal and inside, you think is a weakness that you don't want to reveal, which is mentally, I'm not as driven to do this as I once was. Some people call it burnout. But all burnout is, is a lack of motivation. It's easier to say colloquially, oh, I'm a little bit burnt out. I'm, I'm going to rest for a little bit. As opposed to saying, I'm lacking motivation. And you can only do it so many times, right? You can only go through so many training camps, twice a day, every day, through pandemics. You're living at the gym. You're a rich guy. You got distractions. You got a million different things to do, but you got to be in the gym twice a day, every day. Then you got to be cutting weight. Then you're going to restaurants. You're picking up the tab for all of your buddies and you're barely even getting anything, right? I mean, I'm just sharing with you, like, there's only so many times you can do that. Not to mention, there's only so many times that you want to do that. Not to mention, if you're trying to protect legacy or you're trying to protect a bank account, there's only so many times you have to do it. And I feel like in every category that we look at, we can check the boxes for Adesanya. And I'm not predicting for you that he retires. I'm suggesting for you that he consider it. Sure I am. Yeah, I think he's the best fighter in the world. I don't think his best days are behind him, and I don't think because he had uh, 25 minutes that kind of made you scratch your head. Like, I don't, I don't hold that against him, and I don't judge him for it at all. But I will share for you, when you start to think that you're burnt out and you start to have a lack of motivation, he's absolutely doing the right thing by taking a break. For sure. But within that break, if he finds that there's other things to do with his time and or his energy, I would support that too. Right? I would fully support that. The division has already moved on. When he didn't make the play for Sean, it caught a lot of people off guard. Then he said, well, I'm going to come back and my next fight It's going to be fun. And there's, there's nowhere for Adesanya to go to have fun. Right? There's nowhere with, with what he's being paid, the highest paid middleweight of all time, second highest paid guy in the entire company right now. There's nowhere for him to go except the main event of a pay-per-view, and that's not going to be fun. That's going to be with another train killer that's looking to bring you down, that is motivated, is hungry. And puts all the chips in. It's just one of these interesting spots. And I thought it was very mature of Adesanya. I commend this. John Jones came out and said, yeah, man, look out for yourself. Good for you. Take a break. But the division has moved on. It's one thing that you'll find about this sport. You get a lot of athletes that think they're bigger than the sport. They're more powerful. Or they won't come back. We didn't even know that Adesanya was taking a break. And the division already moved on. Right? And we, we didn't even know that he wasn't planning on coming and fighting soon, and we've already named a number one contenders match that's going to be contested this weekend, and whoever wins that is going to fight for the very title that we're discussing. Is he coming back and returning too? Like, everything's okay. Everything's in check. Every, everything's on point here. I don't have a problem with it. But when Izzy says it, it's important that other guys start to adjust, right? There, there is no fight out there for DDP, like Izzy. There's no fight like that. And that's a hard fight to get when you were already offered the fight and you said no. Moreover, to be offered the fight now, the same thing that you already once refused to do, and now the biggest prize of the world championship isn't on the line, which means if you win, you don't become champion, which means you don't get participation points. So financially, as well as intrinsically, everything's gone that we once had and we couldn't get the fight when we had that. So it's, it's an interesting spot. So DDP has to go somewhere else. That's all. No problem. No problem at all. But where would that be? Where would that be? And I don't know that that's just on DDP. 
I don't think that's just on him to go figure out. It would seem that he's a top contender. It would seem that he's a top guy. It would seem the other middleweights in the division could open their eyes and see the top guy just lost his dance partner and they could go after him. There's just room and there's just strategies and there's opportunities all over the board. I don't even know if these guys know. I don't know if the fellow middleweights have read that Adesanya isn't coming back for a period of time, which they should interpret to be he's not coming back. The rankings committee needs to take a good listen to that. If a guy has removed himself, then a guy removed himself. The board is wide open, and the 185-pounders got scooped. They let swoop in what appeared to be a retired has-been at welterweight. I would never put Kamar Usman down. That's not what I meant. But it looked like a guy that wasn't going to get an opportunity, that wasn't speaking up, that didn't have anything meaningful coming at a different weight class. That guy, that guy over here, swooped in and is now in an opportunity to take everything from every middleweight that's been there and grounded out and have a dream. And you know what? Kamar Usman deserves it. And you middleweights that didn't speak up, you didn't lobby, you didn't do anything, you're not doing it now. You're not calling out. You're not saying it's not fair that Kamar Usman be given an opportunity that you never got, though he's never competed in the weight class. That's a compelling argument and everybody would listen. But you haven't made it. You haven't said anything. Nothing. You've done nothing to add anything to the interest of the fan, not one of you. And now DDP just lost his golden ticket. He's gonna have to start over from scratch and whatever he comes up with will not be near as good as what he once had. But never miss those shots. You gotta take the match you can get when you can get it. That's your job. Alright guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And for Apple Podcast reviews from a guy like Dino who says UFC 294, Shale either has a magic ball or an inside man. Well, thank you, Dio, and cool name, by the way. I'm going to be back on Friday. I'm going to tell you a few more things, including official predictions for this weekend's pay-per-view. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.